Good morning, FPNA Fridays. Chris Ortega and Glenn Snyder. How are we doing, guys? Doing great. Doing great, man. It's a gloomy day out here in Indianapolis, almost the end of May, but uh, hopefully summer's here, man. Yeah, summer looks like it's here. I uh, I can't see a cloud in the sky here in the Bay Area. Glenn, how about you? Yeah, crystal clear, about 80 degrees today. Awesome. I love the Bay Area. All right. Well, uh, Glenn, it just it does sound like when you speak, you've got a little echo there. I'm not sure if you've got a speaker going on or something like that, but uh, maybe we can quickly tidy that up. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, strategic planning. We're coming up to that time in the year where we can uh, where we can think about what's the next two, three, five, ten years going to look like, and and then how do we align our annual planning process to that. Glenn, I know you've got some thoughts. Uh, this is something that we do uh, here at Planful on a, on a very regular basis as part of what we call continuous planning. Uh, Chris, uh, Glenn, I'd love to turn over to you guys, uh, maybe starting with you, Glenn, on how you perceive strategic and planning and, and why is it so important to start that process right now? Like it's uh, the end of May coming into June. What, what's value about doing it right now? Well, Let's first start level set here. A strategic plan is different from a budget. A budget is very detailed. It goes down to typically a department or cost center level by GL account, by month that you put together. Strategic plans are much bigger picture, much longer term. Usually you go anywhere from three to five years out. You usually do it at a divisional level. But what's important about doing it now is if you're on a calendar year, you're probably going to be starting your uh, your budget process in September, and that's going to take you through November. But it's helpful to have a strategic plan before that, which you really want to do kind of from the May to July timeframe. And if you're able to do that, what you put together is here's where we are, here's where we plan on going and where we want to be in three years or five years, and here's what each year is going to look like. And so you have a good sense of where the different areas of the business want to go. And once again, high level, a divisional perspective, not down to the cost center level. And once you have that direction, you make sure that the company is all aligned to be moving in the same direction and how different groups are going to be interacting with each other. So, for example, if the sales team says, hey, we are planning to expand into a new market over the next year and we're going to be hiring 15 extra salespeople, the HR group is to be aware of that and think about how they're going to be recruiting for those new hires. So they work that into their plan. All of these things are going to drive additional revenues and expenses that are going to eventually show up in your budget. So you want to go and have that plan laid out, agreed to at the executive level to make sure everyone's moving in the right direction and your budgets are going to be lined up properly. One other thing you want to put into your strategic plan, though, is variability. What happens if something comes up and you need to cut your cost by 5%? Or what happens if you actually looks like you're going to be growing faster than you thought and you have an additional 5% to spend? Those types of things about where are you going to cut and what additional spend, to have that prioritized at the executive level so that when you go into your budget and you start seeing where the numbers are landing, you already have a plan for how to adjust and you're not scrambling during the budget process to try and do it. Yeah, I love that exercise, that kind of, what would you do if you had to take away 5%? Rowan, you're muted. Yeah. Thanks, guys. What would you do if you had to take away 5%? What would you have to take away if you, what would you do if you had to take away another 5%? And, and what would you do if you had to add 10%? 
Glenn, for me, it's it's an interesting perspective because I've typically been in high growth companies most of my career. So we generally don't think about what would what would happen if we cut, right? It's more about uh, you know the conversation I always have to have running in the back of my brain is who are my next five hires and what would I do with an extra 20% of budget, right? And and that's a different conversation. It's a different thought process. Uh, and last year, I think a lot of organizations, uh, you know, certainly in the high growth space were like, oh, we've never had to think like, what are we going to do if we cut? Uh, and that was a new muscle for a lot of folks. So it's been an interesting perspective, but uh, there, there are multiple ways to look at it. And, and from a high growth company, it's generally, what do you do if you get 20% and who are your next five hires? And you always have to have that on the top of your tongue in case the boss says, hey, Rowan, what would you do if, and you're like, oh, I, I, I should have the answer to that. I should have thought about this. And you don't want to get caught by surprise, especially when uh, when it's the CEO and you want to say, I know exactly what I would do with extra money and, and this is what I would do and this is the return and blah, 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 blah. But if you don't go through that exercise that you just described, you don't have that information to hand. That's right. And on top of that, even in a high growth company, at some point, you keep on, you build, you grow, you build, you grow, you build, you grow. You keep on going, going, going. At some point, you got to have someone look at the organization and say, wait a second. Are we running the most efficient organization we should be? Because there are times that you, when you're in a high growth, you're not thinking about, well, where are there overlaps? Where are we going over and duplicating particular efforts? And after a while, you're going to start bumping into each other. Yeah. So that's where it says, hey, wait a second. You know what? We could probably pull back. If I have turnover, I might not have to rehire these, these positions because I could leverage this other group over here. Those types of things are all things you want to be thinking about when you go into that budget process because if something does come up, the last thing you want to be doing is scrambling around, oh, my God, how do I go over and cut a million dollars out of my budget? But if you go through that strategic planning process, you already have your top three to five bullets that you've identified saying, here are the actions that I'm going to take. Also, the other thing that could come out of it is the company could look at those different action items and say, you know what? We don't need to cut right now, but those are kind of good ideas we should be doing anyway. We could increase our profitability by doing that or increase our cash flow. And so maybe those are actions you want to take regardless. So just going through that exercise on an annual basis is a great way to level set going into the budget process. Yeah, 100%. Chris, what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, like when it comes down to strategic planning, I think we're finally getting to a phase where we're not having to be so reactive into our businesses, right? So coming from a high growth, uh, you know, technology company through an acquisition right now, you talk about like all the dominoes falling into one, like we had to do, our strategic planning is a combination of, of, of not just looking at what are the good guys, the good guys meaning, where's that favorability that I have? What are the levers that I have to pull inside the business? It's also looking at it to say, where can we be more efficient? So I think for me, I've always approached scenario planning with a with a devil's advocate on both sides, right? Like sometimes I'm I'm the salesperson when I'm working with them. Like, okay, if you had two more sales reps in a, in this specific region or this specific location, focused on enterprise or mid level deals, how much opportunities could we get there? And then in the same token, I'm asking that same business to say, well, how are you going to be able to fund that? So a lot of times for me, like. I like to pay that middle of the ground, right? I don't come in to say, hey, where are all the holes in your scenario plan? I'm looking at both the good guys and the bad guys within those conversations. So for me, it's always being like, 
that's the that's the part of FPNA that I've always enjoyed the most, right? Because when I understand the business, I can put on that that sales, that marketing, that go to market kind of strategy and help them solution through like solutions to get an extra 15 or 10 percent. But also in that same conversation, I can throw on my controller accounting FPNA hat to say, okay, if we are able to do that, what's the what's the resource planning? What's the structure that we have? Where do you have the flexibility in your plans to be able to compensate for that? Or what are some other areas in the business? So for me, I think that's always been uh, where I look at it as like a business sparring partner, right? Like you're throwing you're throwing punches, and I'm not saying you're punching your business partners. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I'm saying you're in there. You know, they throw a couple punches, you block a couple. You're out there. It's 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 that natural kind of healthy tension between the two. But when you come into that scenario plan where it's just like we need to find 15% reduction, and that's my singular focus. I need to leave this plan because I got to go report back and how we do it. I think you're missing out that opportunity to think about what are the upsides? What are the potential levers? What are what are the what are the the things outside of the business that that operational leader is not looking at that you can bring into the business? So I think for me, that's always been my approach in terms of that. And now what we're shifting into where we're getting to be more long range, I, I don't think as a business Right now, at least where I'm at, we're at like we can start thinking about the business and in, in, in years and in, in five year planning aspects of it. But now we're getting to six months like we're getting towards May. We're looking for second half of 2021. And we're like, OK, like we have these, uh, you know, uh, uh, good guys and levers that we have in our forecasting plan. How can we start ramping it up? How can we start? increasing our sales efficiency? How can we start increasing our people efficiency? How much is that going to cost, right? So I think that's that's typically the mindset and mentality that I've taken uh, in, in high growth entrepreneurial startup technology companies when it comes to scenario planning. And so, you know, we, we talk about kind of the, the what there, like what should we be doing? How should we be thinking? Uh, let's talk about the who. Who should be involved in strategic planning and, and how do we set them up for success in that exercise, because Glenn, if, if, if you're going to talk to, you know, there's, there's a perception, right? That if you're a scorekeeper mentality finance person and you come in and you say, Hey guys, we're going to do strategic planning. This exercise is where about how we're going to cut 5% of the business. People will get scared. Uh, and, and so framing is really important and, and I'd really love our listeners to, to understand how should we help people through this exercise? Because you could actually, impact the business in a negative way just by going through the exercise people get a little scared of like oh my god finance wants to cut five percent that's actually not what we're trying to do right (laughs) right no no exactly the idea here isn't about cost cutting cost cutting all you're doing is identifying saying if i had to so you have that plan you know what's available it's also if i had extra money like what you were talking about before what am i going to be spending it on and this way the executives could prioritize it the best way to go about it is you've got to start with that executive leadership team your ceo your cfo your cmo your head of sales your head of operations chief legal officer whoever chief hr officer all those people you know they they will typically have some kind of executive leadership team that will meet on a 
bi-weekly basis or a weekly basis. This is where finance comes in, presents to that organization and says, look, here's what we want to do. We want to keep this at a high level. We want to, we don't want to push this down and we certainly don't want to get people all thinking, wait a second, what happens if, we, if we're going to be cutting money? What we want to do is identify that longer term strategic plan and you say, each division head, we're going to go and work with you and we're going to talk and we're going to put your plan together and we're going to help you put together a small PowerPoint deck that will probably be five to six slides. It's going to start off with, here's where we are, here are the opportunities that we're going to see and how we want to take advantage of them. Here's the risks that we see, how we want to mitigate those. And then here are action items we will take, depending if we have more funds, here's what we'd want to do. If we have less funds, here's what we want to do. And you go over and you rank them. Then you have each of those ELT members come back once it's completed and present their plan so that the rest of the ELT all hears exactly where everyone else wants to go. And now that organization can have that debate about, wait a second, I, I totally agree. We need to be taking advantage of these things. This needs to be a priority. Or, you know what, wait a second. No, 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 no. I don't think that's the right place because you're going to screw up something else over here that maybe that division leader wasn't aware of. That's where they come together to align. And you have to have that alignment before you go into a budget process. Otherwise, your budget's going to be all over the place and you're going to be correcting that throughout the year. So you start off with that. That's really what you're doing. It starts at that very high level. And oftentimes what happens is each of those ELT members will say to, to FP&A, I want your finance business partner to work with my direct reports only to put it together. And that's as far down as you go. So it's usually the people who report into that, that one executive for the division. And that's it. All the strategic planning is taking place at that level with the finance business partner. And oftentimes you also bring in your HR business partner because many times new investments require new people resources. And so you want to make sure HR is on board too. Yeah, it, it's absolutely cr crucial from my perspective that you keep it at the right altitude. Uh, and and yeah. if you if you go too far down, like if you come to street level, you've gone too low, right? You need to be right. up at kind of town and city level in this in this exercise, because if you go too low, then you're actually in the weeds, and it's not a strategic plan; it's just planning. Um, Right. Coming up those levels is actually the important part. And I think one of the key things that you said there, Glenn, that, that I took away was that that focus on bringing the execs together of that division, of that group, and having them all share and discuss their ideas. Because if you see that happening and, and once you're a part of that, you actually see such a really fruitful conversation that, as you alluded to before, things can be actioned today, even if they're not part of the exercise, right? Like you naturally open up conversation that otherwise wouldn't have occurred and you find alignment, you find pockets of, uh, wow, we've been building the business and we forgot to look back and we forgot to see what we created and wow, there's an opportunity for us to realign something or adjust something or course correct and it, it's really, really powerful when you can do that. Yeah, let me take that one step further though. Imagine an org chart. Right. And let's just say you have eight members of an executive leadership team. They all report with a line into the CEO. But how do those executive leadership team members connect to each other in an org chart? Right. They don't. But what you do in this conversation now 
is you're hearing the chief marketing officer is hearing from the head of operations and the head of legal and other things that they want to be doing. And now they start seeing, hey, wait a second, this is your priority. I can help with that. I want to be engaged in that. And now you start making those cross connections that didn't exist before because it's not just about the one conversation with the employee to the employer, meaning that, or the, the to their manager, meaning like the divisional head to the CEO. Now you're having divisional head to divisional head about saying, how do we work together to accomplish more? Definitely. Chris, what, what exercises have you been through at Amasis? You guys went through a huge growth rate uh, and, and then obviously uh, an amazing acquisition. What exercises went into on, a, you know, on an annual or even quarterly basis to set yourselves up for that? Because that's part of a strategic plan, right? Um, going through an acquisition is generally something that has been planned out. You have to put the business a little bit up for sale. But, um, you know, the alternative is we sell the business to a public, you know, a public firm and we go IPO. What were those discussions like and, and how frequently did they happen for you? Yeah, I think the coolest thing about Amarsis and the overall acquisition was we kind of did it the reverse way. A lot of times you see American businesses that expand internationally, right? We as Amarsis were internationally expanding to the U.S. So it's kind of the other way around. And for us, we were a focal piece of changing the business, right? In, in, in so many different areas, the commercial side of the business, how we fulfilled uh, our project implementation, how we serviced our customers, how we build our customers, how we uh, it, what what we did as Americas and what we continue to do was we were a focal point of leveling up all aspects of the business. Right. Because when you think about what we do as a marketing provider to e-retail, e-commerce, travel and airlines being our major ICP, I identify customer profiles. Like we know those markets. There's no market that's bigger in the entire world than the U.S. market when it comes to retail and e-commerce. So for us, part of that planning process for us was like, hey, like we're opening the America's operations to be the entire growth engine for our entire business going forward. That was the strategic decision that our owners at the time, our board, our senior leadership team, that's what they placed their bets on. So Part of those conversations was less about me guiding the models and doing the Excel. It was more about informing the rest of the world of the business. Hey, here's here's the product demands that we get from our customers, right? Here's the here's the payment terms that we we get from our customers. Here's the the marketing cadence that we need to have as far as our trade shows. Here's the sales cadence and structures we need to have. So we were part of really transforming the entire outlook on all different functional areas of the business. So part of what my job was, was not to inform our senior leadership team around the model. It was more advising. It was more to say, like, in, in partnership with uh, with our CFO and our regional teams, it was like, hey, Itamar, here's what we have successful around accounting, finance, FP&A for Americas. Here's what we see successful around the commercial side of the business. Here's what we see success in the implementation side of the business. And us as leaders in the Americas guiding that to the rest of the world. And some of the things sticked, some of the things weren't adopted and didn't translate well to our European or Asia Pacific uh, uh, operations or clients. But that was such a great process to work through because it was like, hey, we need your knowledge. We're going to take certain ways that 
actually level up other aspects of our business. And the whole time, you know, we, we were a three digit revenue, three digit year over year bookings revenue uh, uh, growth company. Right. We went from being, you know, a very small aspect of total revenue to being in five years time, majority of revenue of a single uh, uh, piece of that revenue por- portion of it. So that cadence for us was always before the pandemic. We were always looking at things in a quarterly basis. Right. When you make any investment or expand to any new market, you're evaluating the business case that you have set out. So for me, it was always having a collaboration with our senior leadership team. How's bookings performing? How's revenue performing? How's cash performing? Uh, we didn't think so much about EBIT because we're a growth business and we're spending ahead of what our revenue is going to come in from a SaaS business. So typically in SaaS, when you expand a new operation, you're not going to see any like bottom line profitability from a P&L perspective inside the business because you're having to spend, you're having to grow, you're having to invest. So the revenue is going to come later. So we didn't concern ourselves with that. But the major concern was, are we spending too much? Are we spending too less? That was always the conversation when it came to Americas. Do we need to do we need to invest more? What areas do we not need to invest in? And for me, it was always about functional ROI and conversations around that and taking more an advisory based approach to inform the rest of the world, the business to say, here's some things that's successful that may translate to the rest of the world. Yeah, it sounds like a really uh, interesting ongoing prioritization exercise, right? You know, hey, these, this prioritization for us is really important in terms of the ROI of this thing versus the ROI of that thing. What do you guys see in international markets? Glenn, you, you've worked in um, in very different businesses, right? Uh, you know, uh, financial services prior how do you take a different approach to strategic planning when the business type is different, right? You know, uh, Chris and I are in more high tech, you know, fast growing kind of software companies with the wonderful gift of compounding, uh, compounding revenue. Um, not all businesses have that, right? So talk us through the, your perspectives of that. Well, so what I find kind of funny is actually most businesses have ongoing continuous revenue, right? That's what clients are and you sign clients up to contracts you can think about i worked at charles schwab and so they're obviously a financial services company but they earn revenue based on the money that people have invested with them so as long as that money stays with schwab they have that continuous revenue stream i worked at digital realty they're a real estate company that they manage and own data centers well clients lease that space based on power and space that they have and that's continual revenue so even though it's not tech it has a very has very similar properties. But the big difference from what Chris was talking about and Rowan, probably what you're experiencing at Planful, is companies like Charles Schwab, companies like Digital Realty are at a very different evolutionary stage. They are not necessarily the high growth. They're still growing. I and mean, don't get me wrong. There is a lot of growth that's going on at the companies. But they're at a little bit more of a mature stage. And they are significantly larger organizations. I mean, Schwab has 18,000 plus whatever employees. And that was, I think, before the merger with TD Ameritrade. So, you know, these companies don't necessarily focus on, I mean, they do focus on revenue growth and they want to make sure that they are growing and building their top line. But they also have an eye on the operations and the expenses. And it makes it a little bit different where it's not. I mean, Chris talked about it as, hey, we're not really concerned about the revenue that's going to come in. We're just going to look, are we spending too much, spending too little? 
that doesn't really happen at a S&P 500 <laughs> company because they're looking at it and saying, look, our revenues are a lot more predictable. We know the patterns. We know the spending patterns. Where do we want to go and invest in order to build and grow and get the best return on that investment? And that's really where you start analyzing and saying, how do we start freeing up funds from our operations, from our G&A, that we can then turn that around and get a better ROI become, because we become more efficient. We pick up greater ca- uh, economies of scale at the corporate level. And then you could go over and say, those funds are freed up to go over and invest in that growth that you're going to see, uh, you know, drive the company in the next few years. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing. It's, it, it, it is an interesting perspective. I mean, we all have, uh, you know, we all operate in different businesses and, and I, we've discussed this at, um, at various FP&A Fridays. It's important about what's important for the business at that time and not, you know, I was actually listening to a really cool podcast and it was about, um, you know, personal development and, you know, what would you do if you woke up and you had uh, amnesia and you didn't know about your past how would you set goals for your future self, right? By, by staying away from your past, your goal setting may completely change, right? Because you don't, it, it's not informed uh, anywhere, right? Like you, you don't have the influence of your past. And, and that's an interesting exercise to, to potentially go through in a strategic planning process. Like what would you do if you were the new CFO that came into a business and just had to, completely look at the business in a whole new light and say, okay, where do we want to go from now? And that's almost the the strategic planning exercise, which is just level set. Here we are today. This is what this business is. Where can we go from here? And, And one place is cut costs, reduce the business, try and increase operating margins. Uh, other ways is invest, 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 grow the business for future profitable growth. Yeah, and I think that there is a big difference between, uh, you know, companies that are smaller and trying to establish themselves and companies that are already established. Because if you are, you know, large companies are still trying to grow, and that is still a big focus. But they have, they're focused on growth, but they're also looking at operating efficiency. They want to grow their earnings to have that greater return for their shareholders. Where a smaller company that's maybe more VC-backed or a private equity firm is looking about growth, growth, growth. We're not really concerned right now about that, that return. They will be concerned about cash flow that you still have to keep that eye on. But the biggest thing is, and it's something, Rowan, that you just said, and something that, that Chris, and you also talked about in previous sessions, you got to know your starting point. You have to know where you are. So even if you go over and say, imagine if you couldn't think about your past or didn't know anything about your past, you still have to go through that exercise to say, where are we today? Because if you don't know that, how on earth do you know where you're going to grow? Just find myself the mute button there um it's a you know thanks so much glenn that's a really interesting perspective chris as as you think about um the next stage of a masters right uh you're going through an acquisition how would you do strategic planning today and what would you need to do to make that happen 
inside a business that is trying to integrate you, I, I've been through one of those fun acquisitions where you, you go from being a small software company to a big conglomerate and you're like, oh man, what is this? Um, and everything's different, right? Like I'm assuming now Amasis is part of a new divisional head or the, the existing team are the divisional heads. And uh, so strategic planning for you may look a little different what would be the exercise that you would go through now uh, based on our conversation? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the plan now is definitely different, right? We are, we are no longer the, the masters of our own destiny as we were when we uh, were uh, privately owned, right? So I think for us, a lot of it is just partnership and vision with SAP. So uh, in, in, in any acquisition that you go through, for me, this is my first time uh, being actively involved in an acquisition. The prior companies I worked with before, the the software company I was at before got acquired by a competitor. The company I was at even before that got acquired by another publicly traded uh, company. So for me, when you shift towards like, hey, we were independently running to now we are acquired, a lot of that strategic planning is going to be done from the parent company, right? So you're less about hey, here's what we need to do. It's more about how collectively are we going to get there together? So a lot of the conversations, a lot of the dialogues, a lot of the information that I have is like, hey, here's what's happening in the Amarsis business. Here's the opportunities that we have. Here's the numbers we got to go get. Here's what we got to go chase. Here's what the risk that we have. So for me, it's almost like I'm that business partner to the FP&A group that is at the acquire company, right? And for me, like, there's there's comfort in that. There's also a lot of ambiguity in it because a lot of times I'm faced with conversations to say you when you're small and you're nimble, you have the opportunity to make decisions so much faster. Right. You get in conversations, you get 15 minutes, you get all the stakeholders involved. Everybody runs and plans are executed. When you go to an acquisition phase, a lot of that is like, OK, let me make sure I get buy in and, and conversation with so everybody's in the loop. So now you have another party that is going to be guiding that decision making. So I think with that comes you got to you got to change your perspective, right? Cuz a lot of times you don't have that flexibility to quickly align, make decisions and go execute uh whether it's people conversations, investment conversations or go to market. I think it was just really interesting for me is like how do you collaborate two amazing software solutions or two companies to go compete in the space, which is ultimately the reason why the acquisition happened, right? In any in any industry you're a part of. So I think that aspect of strategic planning when you're going through a merger and acquisition, or even when you go public, right? When you go public, you have different stakeholders. You got a public street to report to, right? You got the SEC. Everything becomes wide open in terms of what you're going to deliver. You have promises that you need to meet. And if you don't meet those promises, you're going to have you know, stock prices go down or, or investors selling or things like that. So I think for me, the shifting of it is still strategic planning, but it's more about an advisory strategic planning role versus like an action based strategic planning opportunity. Um, and I think you get the best of both. Right. Like I'm still helping guide the acquisition and involved in all the various work streams that are part of it. But I also have a day job of making sure Marxist is or the business to continue to flow. So you have that balance of I have to balance this, uh, uh, you know, potential of what this is going to be. But I also have to prioritize that we got to make sure Mars is successful. 
So it kind of creates an interesting dynamic, which I find fun, challenging. And sometimes, look, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes <laughs> you're like, man, I, I, I wish I could just do this. But at the same time, it, it's a learning process that you have to uh, grow into. But that's that's the experience that I've had so far. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Glenn, we've talked a little bit about the who, the why, and the how. Let's talk about the what. What do we produce? What is the output that we share? And and what should be the expectations of, of those exec teams uh, that uh, are receiving that, that whether it's a document or, or the actual strategic plan itself? Talk through how you end up delivering that and, and what that, you know, what do you use that for over time? So let's take a step back first and say, how do you put it together? What is the what that you're, you're putting together? And this is where FP&A or corporate strategy will start with a template. And they're going to say, every business, here is the template we want you to fill out. Because it's going to be very important when you have a chief marketing officer and a head of HR presenting what their strategic plans are, if they are not structured in a similar way, how do you think about how they come together? So starting with that that one template so that everybody's looking at things in the same definition, same format, same way, oh, I know on page three, I'm gonna get this information. That immediately makes it easier for everyone to look across the business and understand. Now, what comes out of this is an, a prioritization of what does the company wanna do and when does it want to do it? And how much are they going to spend on it? Which is directly, you know, goes right into that budget that you're going to be creating starting in September. So that's one thing. The other thing that comes out of it is a small strategic plan for each individual division. And some of the best companies that I've worked for, what they would do is every leader, they have that strategic plan and it sits on their desk or they have the file that's just easily accessible on their desktop. And then they effectively go on a roadshow. Every time they're invited to go speak to a different area of the company, they bring it along. Let me tell you what my strategic plan is. And they share that information and everyone starts sharing that document so that people know, hey, I know exactly where that sales team is trying to go. Or I know exactly what that operations team is trying to do to build efficiencies to, or to deliver these new types of products. And this is how I can then go over and help them. And the more you share that strategy, the more people will be aligned with where you're going and will help you get there. So to me, the really the two big outcomes is number one, you have financial direction. What are you going to be investing in and where is it going to go to make sure you're picking that up in your budget that's, that's going to be coming up? And two, you have that alignment across the organizations in a document that can be shared broadly within the organization about where you where each division is and where they're trying to go. Because the more communication that happens between divisions, the more efficient and more greater synergies you'll find across the company. That that is so important. Uh, I, it's it's hard to emphasize what Glenn just said there, because if you don't, well, obviously it's uh, capturing the data in that structured way to enhance the speed, right? We don't have a huge time window uh, with which to do strategic planning. So ensuring that you capture that information in a really neat structured way up front, one that works for all parties is absolutely critical because otherwise you could be spinning your wheels in strategic planning all the way through into October and then you get yourself behind in your actual annual planning process. 
So it's really important, I think, there to, to one of the things that Glenn said is to time bound this exercise and, and make sure it is just perceived as one of these, you know, really important exercises, but it shouldn't blend itself into the annual planning process. It's a process that informs the annual planning process. And, uh, and we really need to make sure that, you know, you don't keep the two, you can keep those two things separate, maybe even have a separate owner in the business if you can, uh, with a different project name, with, with, you know, a different governance model than your annual planning process, just you know, from the business side of the house, uh, when you see a different person leading a different initiative, you actually think a little bit differently. But when, uh, you know, if it was, I was working with Chris and Chris was working on my annual plan and my strategic plan, I guarantee you, I'm really busy running my business. It would be very confusing to me and I would probably conflate the two. And that's not the exercise that, that the business actually needs. Chris, as you think about that, right, how, how do you, uh, how have you structured those types of exercises and created that, uh, I guess, delinearity between, you know, what might be a, a key strategic initiative at the time versus something that's more annual and more, you know, just typical finance cyclical based? Yeah. How I've always, that's a great question, Rowan. How I've always seen it is the annual budgeting process and everything that goes along with that is the promise that you're making to the business. Like that is the promise that you're making. The scenario planning, those ad hoc analysis, those check-ins are what is the reality of the business. So the way that I've always looked at it, and I think, you know, some people and, and viewers of this that may look at this. I think like the time, energy and effort that most accounting finance and FP&A teams spend in the annual budgeting process is inefficient. Yes, I said it. I go <laughs> on record, throw stones at me. People are going to get mad at me, but I think it's inefficient. Right. Why do I think it's inefficient? It's inefficient because you spend so much time, energy and effort from all the people, all the stakeholders, everybody involved. It's two to three months. It's all these checks and balances that you have to go through, all the approvals, all the workflows, all the PowerPoints, all the conversations, all of this work to do all of this work. And in three, three months, the business is going to be completely different. It's out That's of, been it's, my experience. It's dead on arrival. <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you, and, and look, I'm not hating. I'm not, look, people may stone me and like I may get some, some bad tweets and messages from people. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying make it efficient because really what you want to do, the budget is setting the guideline, right? And I remember at a software company I was working at before, I went through my first budgeting process with and I said, I, I talked to our CFO, I talked to our board, uh, our board uh, member, our uh, board of directors uh, leader, I talked to our CEO and I, I had them all at a meeting. I said, hey guys, like we just like, we spent all these meetings and I, I quantified all the meetings, all the people that were on the meetings, all the subsequent conversations, everything around it. And I said, if you just take in the fully loaded value of all this time of just meetings and conversations, this is how much it costs to the business. Right. And look and see how much different the business is in three months time. Like and they were it was why it was eye opening for them. They looked at it and was like, wow, we never quantified how much just people time and meeting time we spent talking about something that significantly changed. And my question to them was, how do we make this better? 
So that's where you get into uh, uh, the see, the budget is that kind of piece of it. I think of scenario planning, a toolkit and a model is always a rolling forecasting model, right? That should be like FP&A. If you want to have a model that's dynamite, that really is impactful on the business, incorporate a quarterly rolling forecasting model inside your business. You don't have to do it 12 months. 12 months is the gold standard. 24 months is when you're on Glenn's level and you're like an all-star, you can get to 24 months, but just get to a quarterly cadence where you're having that scenario process, right? And Rowan, to your point, I would never lead, I would never lead that quarterly process for my teams. I will enable that all-star controller or that FPNA person below me to say, hey, I want you to go partner inside the business. I want you to go look at this quarterly cadence. So I will have them go do that. It's a new stakeholder, new conversations, new perspective. But I know what the budgeting plan was and I know what it should be. And I know what the conversation should be. So you're automatically having a check-in point. And you're right, Ron, 100%. Those functional leaders feel differently when there's a different stakeholder leading that conversation than me being a part of it, right? And that's how I've typically uh, done that is, is – and, you know, I think for me, the, the annual budgeting process was like a 1920 business school, probably Ford, Ford Motor Company process that people came up with to say, we need to spend like three months going through something that's thrown out the window in two weeks after it's done. So uh, for me, that that's that's been the approach. And to Glenn's point earlier, the major outcome, I think, is not the financial model. It's not all the assumptions. It's not the sexy, uh, planful dashboards that you get from it. It's the alignment on what do we say we're going to do, what are we doing, and what are we going to do about it. It's answering those three business questions. That's really the most important deliverable that you get from any budget plan or any scenario plan that you work with inside the business. I 100% agree with you on that one. And uh, for those that want to send uh, send stones towards Chris on Twitter, it's uh, at CEO <laughs> underscore future one. Uh, feel free to ping him there on uh, on on the uh, annual planning process. And, and maybe that's a future topic uh, where we could have a battle royale. Those folks that truly believe in the annual opera- operating plan and, and those that don't, I, I think that would be a really fun topic. Glenn, what's your perspective on that? Do you, do, uh, maybe you'll get cancelled in the FP&A community, Chris. Yeah. Well, so I think <laughs> what Chris is talking about works in a very you know small, high growth or- organization. When you are in a more established organization, you know what the next quarter is going to look like, and you know what the next quarter after that's going to look like. So when you do your annual budget it actually holds true through the year. And it is a commitment that the company is making saying, hey, business, here's how much money we are going to give you to achieve these goals. And the company is making that commitment to that business. So I look at it a little differently because of the type of companies that I've worked for. Mm-hmm. To me, that you have the strategic plan is multiple years. It is visionary. That is the one that goes over and says, hey, this is where we want to get to in three to five years, not what I'm going to do next week or next quarter It's three to five years. And I understand that if you're in a very small company that is changing on a quarterly basis, three years is so incredibly ambiguous. You're, it's, it's not really worth trying to put that together. 
totally different stage of the companies here. But if you go over and let's take, I mean, if you look at where, where Chris is, what he's talking about, and take a company like a Procter & Gamble, these guys know exactly what's going to happen over the next six to nine months. Their budget, their variances are going to be less than 2%, where if Chris put an annual plan together, his variances, he's going to be happy if he comes within 10 to 15%. Right. So and it's not that Chris can't do a budget as well as any, someone else. It's that there's so many other variables and a small movement makes a bigger impact because of just the, the scale of the company. So, you know, although I do recognize that a lot of what Chris said is absolutely true. Many people, though, work at larger companies where they're more predictable. They're at a different stage of, of evolution. And that annual budget is that guidepost that people use. And so it really comes down to separating. And Rowan, I'll go back to you. You're right. A lot of times you want to have this separate. Oftentimes the strategic planning is done by the corporate strategy team and the annual budgeting is done by the FP&A team. But if you're in a small company, you don't have a corporate strategy team. I mean, you, you typically have to be a multi-billion dollar company to go over and say, I want to take four or five people who are very well paid because these guys are not cheap. And I'm going to go over and have these guys just put together strategic plans and think about things that we could be doing in the future and analyzing that. Most companies don't have that kind of money to invest until you get to a certain size. Mm -hmm. So the question is, really, how do you take your FP&A team, who's having oftentimes a budget discussion, a very detailed discussion, and morph that into a strategic discussion? And make business leaders, Rowan, like yourself, say, whoa, I recognize these are two separate things and they are two separate conversations. And that's where it starts at that higher level to go over and to say it's not your individual FP&A business partner who's out having that first conversation. It's the head of FP&A who's talking to that executive leadership team saying, hey, this is the exercise we're going to go through. This is how we're going to work together. And here are the expectations. And to get people on board there before you start bringing in other people. Yeah, my, my advice to folks, I, I run a lot of projects. Uh, we're in marketing, we do campaigns, we label things, we, uh, we give uh, naming conventions to things. We, we run a lot of projects every quarter, every month. Label them. Give these mm -hmm. things specific project names because that really helps frame the conversation when you have a meeting. It's about you know project X, it's about project Y, it's about something else. People can then just understand, I'm walking into this meeting and it's about this thing without having that, you know, 15 minute reminder every meeting. It's an efficiency uh, trick. Uh, you know, us marketers are pretty good at doing it. We trick ourselves sometimes. Um, uh, that's a really key point, I think, um, you know, and, and uh, as I said before, try different stakeholders as well. Um, because otherwise it, it gets really hard to remember you know, especially if you are in a fast growing business, um, you know, which is very different from Procter and Gamble, which I think is about 180 wow. years old, right? I, I think they've probably got the annual planning process <laughs> down pat. Um, I, hey, I, I would hope so. I would hope so. <laughs> you would be surprised. I, I, I know nothing about Procter and Gamble, so I'm not saying that. But I can tell you there's a company that I worked for, and I won't say what the name of the company is, been around since 1930s. They didn't have an established annual planning process until 1998. Wow. And they, and they went public wow. in 1974. So, you know, it's different types of things. And when I joined 
uh, Digital Realty, another you know plan full customer back in 2016, I was hired to build out a corporate FP&A team because they didn't have one, but they were already in the S&P 500. So you'd be surprised that a lot of times companies focus so much on the growth aspect and they, they build, they grow, they continue, they have that great success and they don't stop at a point and say, wait a second, should we be doing this a little differently? But at some point, they eventually do. And that's when they have to go over and catch up and you say, okay, wait, we could probably do a better annual planning process because we're just piecing things together. Let's go over and bring in a good FP&A team or a good strategy team. Let's go and lead that. And those eventually, you know, those things eventually happen. Yeah, I think hey, that- Hey, Rowan, that- I, I just, I, I just want to add, I just want to add to what, what Glenn is saying. Glenn, I absolutely love your perspective, right? You have that enterprise level view and to, to the people, right? I think always having a balance between you can have an enterprise based approach and be at a smaller company, right? right? You can have a small to medium size based approach and be at an enterprise level company, right? To me, it's it's a healthy balance, right? Because if you're at a small, high growth, small, medium size, high growth company, you have to be enterprise level sometime because ultimately that's what the business wants to get towards, right? You don't want to just constantly be working at a hundred dollar MRR contracts. You want to get to like 50, 60,000 and you got to progress with that business. But I also think at the enterprise level, taking that, that small to medium sized mentality and the way that you think about it and the way that you pivot and, 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 and inspect the business, the gains are bigger, right? Cause like, if I can increase my, if I can get laser precision in a Nike organization that's a billion dollar market caps and huge organization, and I can make some changes and get forecasting errors, that's like four or five million dollars bottom line that I can contribute to, right? Versus like that four to five million dollars being a rounding error for somebody. So I think that's the approach that I want the listeners to take. You ha- can have, and there's efficiencies and there's pros and cons of having both mindsets in both levels of the business. Yeah, 100% agree with what Chris just said. You have to look at what type of organization you are and what how you need to adjust. We talked, uh, I don't know, about a month ago about walking that fine line that, you know, you're, you're, you're a finance person, but you got to be out there supporting the business. This is the same thing. You got to have multiple hats when you're doing this to say, look, you might have an established company, but a high growth division. And you got to take, you know, different approaches and recognize that even though you have a budget for the larger company, your division might be focused more on the forecast because that might be more meaningful because it's more adaptable. And so you got to have that approach to say, look, it's not a here's the cookie cutter. We're just going to go over and stamp out our dough and we're going to make the exact same cookie everywhere. Because if you do that, you're going to be screwing things up. You have to analyze exactly what the business is, where they are. And what's going to be most effective? And then finally, you have to say, how do I go over and create a solution that works for everybody? Because you can't just make that quick, high growth solution for that division when the corporation, the larger enterprise wants something different. you got to solve for both. And and one of the things that struck out uh, there for for me with both of you is self-reflect as you go through strategic planning to reflect not only on what the business can change or the business can do, what can you do to change the business? There's a huge opportunity that presents itself. Glenn talked about uh, his time at Digital Realty. Someone realized there was an opportunity to bring in a corporate FP&A team, invest in something, 
to create future growth through better financial structure, better, better financial planning, better financial analysis. And that was probably done in a strategic planning meeting. Someone probably didn't just wake up and go, do you know what I need? I need an FBNA team. Um, it was probably a very strategic thing that the, that, that the executive team at Digital Realty did at that point in time. So as you're thinking about uh, strategic planning, don't just think about it from a business perspective. Also think about what you need as, as your own business, as, as the, you know, if you are in FPNA, think about what, what can I do to maximize the opportunity ahead for my FPNA team? And, uh, you know, that could be, you know, hiring a new team. It could be implementing technology. It could be uh, on any number of things. But take that moment to think to yourselves, well, not only should I be doing a strategic plan with each of my business units, what could we be doing differently? How could we be partnering with accounting better? How could we be working with other parts of the business better and create that self-accountability throughout the strategic planning process? Yeah, and, and Rowan, when we do strategic planning, it's not about, hey, you're the customer-focused people, we're going to do strategic plans for you. No. Finance does a strategic plan as well. They have to. Same thing with HR, with legal. Every single division has to do a strategic plan because if only a few of them do it, it doesn't work. The whole point is everybody needs to be moving in the same direction, having that alignment, having that communication. And so 100% agree with you. This isn't about what marketing is going to do or what operations is going to do. This is about what we all are going to do for our company and where we're trying to go. Hey, Rowan, I got a great point. I got a great, as we're thinking through this, right? When you're high growth, sales is ABC. Sales is always be closing, right? <laughs> when you're in that high growth or that startup, FPNA should be the same way. Always be curious. I think like that's the, that's the aspect of it. Like when I look at all the business I was a part of, I was always curious. Like I was sitting in a meeting and Rowan would be like, oh, man, our lead pipeline for this campaign is off the charts. And I'll be like, I just looked at the data the last six months about that. Something's not right about that. So when you think about that, sales is always closing. FPNA, you should always be curious. Seriously, number one skill set of any FPNA person, top of the line, not how awesome you are at Planful, not how good your Excel skills are. It is how curious are you? Always be curious. Right. And be proactive about it. Yeah. I, there's nothing better as a business leader than someone uh, coming to you with questions in the curiosity frame, right? Like coming with questions that often can feel like an interrogation. I can tell you that's a standoff moment. Uh, but if you come with, hey, I'm really curious, like what would we do if we did this? Or what would we do like, you know, I, I was just thinking the other day this, like what, what would happen if that happened, right? And it shows and not only as a business leader that your FP&A counterpart is, is thinking of you, right? Which is always nice. Um, but it shows they're trying to help you, right? Uh, and and I, I love that frame of always be curious uh, in, in marketing. It's always be campaigning, um, both internally and externally. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really love it, Chris, because it, it – it's a great frame for uh, the rest of the business that curiosity is going to help uh, create something. 
and it's generally an opportunity, a new challenge, something to to work together on, and, and that's exactly what we talk about every week on 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 FPNA Fridays. Is how do you create a better FPNA, a high performing FPNA team? Curiosity sits at the uh, at everything there. It's it's a really good good frame. Yep, and it's always a catalyst to scenario planning, right? If you look at scenarios, it's scenarios are the what ifs, like. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if this did this? What if this did that? The, that's a great way. So for those practitioners and those people looking for, uh, hey, Chris, how do we get started in that scenario planning process in our business? Start with a conscious, curious question to your business that, hey, I, you know what? I want to think about that and let that flow and find projects. I think another way that I like challenge myself in it is I would give myself a little quarterly uh, black ops projects that I would work inside the business and say, all right, I'm going to be dropped off in client success and I'm going to really be curious about this aspect of the business. So I'm going to focus on that. So when you tie that to the scenario planning to what we've talked about, that is a great segue to get your business partner thinking about. It. And it's, you know, we talked about this before, Rowan, it denutralizes the conversation. It gets them relaxed. When you come into Rowan and say, Rowan, I need to schedule a one-on-one with you. We need to go over why your marketing campaigns are not producing the leads that we have by 15%. Rowan's going to come in like, okay, Chris, it's game time. Like We're about to get after it. <laughs> but if you come in and you're just like, hey, Rowan, I'm curious. I look at this. I look at some other metrics inside the business. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how we could look at this and make this a little bit better. It completely changes that whole scenario plan that you're setting up with that business partner. It completely changes that dynamic. Yeah, I love it. I think that's probably another uh, another specific conversation we could have. You know, we could just call it FPNA and and the ABCs and see see who we have Michael Jackson in the background singing ABC. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, guys, it's uh, it, thank you everyone uh, on the clubhouse for listening. Uh, really appreciate uh, Glenn your time, Chris your time. Uh, we'll be back next week, FPNA Fridays. Uh, if you don't get a chance to uh, to join us here on Clubhouse, all the episodes are uh, are available on your favorite podcasting platform, whatever that may be, or on beingplanful.com where you get to watch our beautiful faces as we talk through this. So uh, everyone. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Enjoy yourselves. Take some time off and uh, always be closing. 